Hi, this is Larry. I want to welcome everybody back. This is the second time I'm doing this podcast, but I'm going to call it podcast number 19. I had a technical problem with 18, so I'm starting fresh. And again, I want to welcome everybody back, and I hope that you are going to enjoy this. This is a different approach this time. I was on Facebook, and I came across somebody who knew my daughter. She was a friend. Initially, when I was on there, let me explain something. My daughter was under house arrest, living in my house. She was using my computer, so a lot of her friends were contacting her through my computer. When I got on, this friend contacted me thinking that perhaps I was Susie. She had heard through the grapevine that Susie had overdosed. She had overdosed and passed. She, like many people that suffer from this disease, she was somewhat in denial. When she saw the computer come on with Susie's name attached to it, She thought I was Susie, and she started to talk. Allow me to just interject this thought. I am using my daughter's name as there is no longer a need for anonymity. I didn't always like who she hung around with, but some of her friends were very good, and some of them were a little bit out there, and I I had some objections too, but she was an adult, and I couldn't tell her who to hang with. All I would do with my daughter is try to get her to go into recovery, go into treatment, allow me also to state, and I'll probably state it a few more times during this podcast, I love my daughter unconditionally. When she passed, I, I didn't react right. I had been going to meetings for about 16 years, and I knew that overdosing was a part of the disease. It really didn't hit me that she had passed. I knew she passed, don't get me wrong, but the pain didn't hit me. Let me, let me preface that. The pain did not hit me until fairly recently, and she passed a little over a year ago now. The pain is taking its effect on me now. I'm feeling the grief more than I did when she first passed. I did feel grief, don't get me wrong. I wasn't somebody who suffered from this disease or for that matter, any disease had passed. But at this point, I am feeling grief. And when this young lady had jumped online and started speaking with me, uh, took me a few minutes to realize that she was actually speaking to my daughter. She was speaking street language, and I didn't comprehend everything that she was saying because my contact with people that suffered from the disease was at meetings, and uh, they knew they were speaking to somebody who, I'm, I'm not young, and they knew they were speaking to somebody who probably didn't understand the lingo that they use now. She finally realized that I was uh, Sue's dad and not Sue. She apologized for the F-bombs, which didn't upset me. What upset me a little more was that I didn't know what she was saying. She started speaking to me, and I filled up with emotion. She had 
offered to my daughter an opportunity to go live with her, and she would help her stay straight. This couldn't be done because she couldn't leave lockup unless she came to live with her parents. That was the court condition for her uh, house arrest. Initially, I, I was relaying this to her friend. Initially, Sue was doing well. She had been in jail in Dade County, Miami, Florida. While she was there, she was straight, and she had a tough, tough time getting clean. They don't treat you like you're going to a detox center where your insurance is paying. You just get straight, and you don't feel very well. It's a hard, hard time. And she went through it, and this wasn't her first time going through it. Like I've said previously, this disease is a progressive disease. If you are in it long enough, there's a good chance you're going to get arrested, and there's a good chance you'll have a record for using, and this disease is not kind to people. I started speaking with her friend because I want to devote this to her friend who was just so nice. She hit my heart. She was a lovely young lady. She has children, and she's living somewhere on the West Coast. I'm not sure where, and I'm not going to use her name either because there is anonymity with this disease. We started talking, and she was telling me what a lovely daughter I had, and I knew that, but uh, it was nice hearing from somebody else. Uh, her friend had almost two years. I would believe it was closer to a year and a half and she wanted to help my daughter. In a way, I was glad that my daughter didn't go to live with her, and uh, this might sound cruel, but the reason that I'm glad my daughter didn't go with her is my feeling, and I'm fairly objective when it comes to my kid, my child. I, I don't just say she's great and she's gonna get better and I shoot from the hip. I didn't feel my daughter was ready yet. This young lady had worked so hard to enter into long-term sobriety, although she was still fairly new to sobriety. She had all the makings of somebody who could do long-term sobriety, and I was proud of her. That's something I'd like to also mention. When I was going to my meetings for 16 years, I looked at the men and ladies that were in treatment as my own. And when they made it, I was very proud of them, just like I would have for my daughter. I I don't know why I had these feelings, but I did. People used to think I was crazy because I continued going to these meetings when my daughter didn't. But I felt that if I could do some good for one person, it would be worth my while attending these meetings. I hear all the time when I go to these meetings that I can't attend these meetings, I'm working and I'm tired, but that's BS because you can go to these meetings. A lot of meetings are an hour and uh, AA, they're our meetings, you go out, you fellowship. It's not a tough thing to go to these meetings. You, you know, not going to meetings is a dangerous thing. It's like driving with your eyes closed. So 
don't don't let yourself buy into that thought that you're working and you don't have time. Uh, you can attend meetings. You can even attend meetings online. But her friend was just so sincere, and she was crying, and I was too. I'm glad I was online and not in person because uh, where I grew up, you didn't cry. You got a beating if you cried, not from my parents, but out on the street. You know, people would start with you, and you know, you got hurt, you got hit, you got banged, but you didn't show emotion. And I guess that stayed with me because I tend to not show emotion, but this girl got to me. She was a good heart, and she wanted to help my daughter. When people are in active addiction, you can't really count on them to help. Their main thoughts are getting high, getting their drugs, and they don't care how they get it. They have to get it, and that's part of the disease. But this girl was just nice and sweet, and she spoke from the heart, and that's how I speak, and I could identify with her. I noticed one of the things that attracted me to uh, her was on her Facebook page, she had these little sayings. I'm going to go into them. We've all seen them. I had a halfway house, and I'd look up the boys to see what they were saying on Facebook. I had their permission. I would see what they put on there, but this girl had some very interesting sayings on there, and I'd like to go into them because they do relate to the disease. I'm going to go into them. But first, I would love to extend to this girl my warmest thanks from the heart because she cared. Most people don't. She had it, and she's warm, and I just wish her continue. I will keep in touch with her on Facebook. You don't find many people that care that much, although let me, let me not say that because I'm not in the program, and... When I open my halfway house, uh, a lot of times if you're not in a program, you don't know what the hell you're doing. And uh, I opened it up, and I figured there's a big epidemic, and people are going to flock to me. So I, I sat back and waited for them to come. Nobody came. And I paid the first month's rent, and I paid the second month's rent. I had a friend who I would drive to meetings sometimes, and he said, you see that guy over there? He works in a treatment center. Why don't you go talk to him? And I spoke to this guy, and he looked at me, and he said, why would you open a halfway house if you're not in the program? I said, because I have a daughter who's in the program, and I want to help. And he thanked me, and he got me my house manager. And little by little, we started to fill up and things. So now he didn't have to do that. He could have just kept sending people to to people who were in recovery. But he, he helped, and he was happy that I was willing to help, and that, that also kept me coming to meetings. And uh, now let's go into some of these things that she says. This one got me. It's all the pain I have experienced brought me to where I am now. Without getting my heart broken over and over again, I wouldn't have known how strong I really am. Think about that. Think about how right that is. Think about what that means. It's true. You don't know the good if you haven't experienced the bad. 
You know, people talk about spoiled kids. Uh, I grew up at a time soon after World War II. My dad opened, uh, he started a trucking company, and uh, I really, I didn't, he didn't make a lot of money. I, I didn't suffer too much. To a certain extent, there were people that suffered a lot. Uh, they, they had jobs. I remember I once went to a day camp, and I said to my friend, come on, you come too. It's only X amount of money, and it never dawned on me that maybe his parents didn't have that kind of money. Pain is like that. If you don't feel pain, do you know what a pleasure it is to feel sobriety? People take sobriety for granted. People don't use, and they don't realize that getting up in the morning and how great it is to get up in the morning and have a cup of coffee or, and breakfast and not have to go out and figure out how you're going to get money to get high. If you're going to make it to where you get your drugs and back without getting killed or robbed or arrested, people don't realize that you know, just getting up in the morning and having breakfast and going out to work is great. I had my house manager, was a tough, tough guy from New York. He, he was loved by the guys because he spoke from the heart, too. He said once, I was driving down 95, which was the main highway that went north-south and came into Florida the whole way, and he said I got stopped for speeding. And he said, I was so happy. The guys from the halfway house looked at him and said, what's wrong with you? And he said, what? And they said, why would you be happy you were getting a speeding ticket? And he said, because for the first time in a long time, I didn't have to worry about not just getting a speeding ticket, but having to leave my car on the highway, getting handcuffed and taken in. They looked at him and they realized what he was saying. That's part of your recovery too, taking the little things, the little things in life that can bring you joy and that's one of the joys. Just getting stopped by a police officer and not having to worry about getting arrested because you're clean. Pain is a good thing. And they look at me and said, what's so good about pain? And I said, it lets you know you're alive. Um, I'm a pharmacist by profession. People would come in the store and say, oh, I have a herniated disc and I started taking uh, Percocets because uh, my doctor gave it to me for the pain. And I said, maybe you shouldn't take Percocets for the pain, you know, take it. When you can't take the pain, pain is good. It lets you know you're alive. Take the pain, a certain amount of pain is good. It's not great. I mean, if you didn't have herniated discs, you'd be much better off, but I'm not telling everybody to get herniated discs so they can feel pain. But pain is better than the pain of addiction. Some people just say, oh, I got an ache, and they go to the doctor, the doctor gives them a prescription, next thing they know, they can't stop taking the Percocet. Think about these things. Pain is not all that bad if it's controlled and if you're willing to feel a little pain instead of taking pills and getting hooked. Another thing she said was, I'm proud of myself 
for not giving up because this year hasn't been easy so far. Hey, you know what? It's never easy. Life, I, you know, there used to be a saying when I was in high school, we used to say, life's a bitch and then you die. Of course, we were young then and we didn't have the proper uh, experiences in life to realize that there's ups and downs in daily life and that part of life experiencing these ups and downs. And yes, when you suffer from this disease and your recovery, you're gonna feel them stronger. You're gonna feel these feelings stronger. I'm of the feeling, and I don't know, when I said it, people looked at me like I was the first one to say it. But this is a progressive disease, and that's not what I'm talking about. But I also feel that recovery is progressive. And what do I mean by that? I mean, you've been getting high every time you felt something that wasn't right, it was masked. You got high and uh, it made you feel better and you didn't have to experience things. Your feelings were masked by whatever you were getting high on. And now you're in recovery and things hit you that you haven't felt in years. You miss the experiences that people go through life and become accustomed to. You are suddenly getting dumped into the bucket of ice water or the pool of ice water and you're feeling these all at once because depending when you started getting high, you never experienced these down feelings. You were stoned all the time. You're gonna feel these feelings. They do tend to pass with time. I'm proud of you too. But keep in mind that what you're feeling is a good thing. The rough times are a good thing. It's something that you're gonna grow accustomed to feeling. You're gonna get used to, and that's what I mean where recovery is progressive also. You're feeling these things and you're learning how to deal with the recovery and you got steps to help you do this and you've got people to help you do this. You got your support group to help you when things start feeling like they're going south. You got your sponsor who is there to give you a little support. And if you go to a place where there's family night, they usually allow you to come back to meetings. They allow you to come back forever. I, that's how I got to go to 16 meetings. They didn't just allow the people that went for treatment, they allowed their family too. And I didn't just go there and have a cup of coffee. I went there and I learned and you gotta learn too. I learned and I gave support, and after a while, the therapist, when I spoke, they would nod and agree with what I was saying. And this didn't just come by chance. This came by experience, and that's when you learn about the disease, when you're dealing with, like when I had my halfway house, and when I went to NA meetings and AA meetings, and if, Everybody could go to a couple of these meetings. It would be phenomenal because you'd get to see what people are really like that suffer from this disease. I'm sure, you know, like with anybody else, any, any, anything else, there are good and bad and everything, but I'm sure that 
you would have a different outlook if you could attend meetings and, and get to know these people that suffer from this disease. Because my experience is they were good people. Sometimes we didn't agree with everything, and sometimes I went home and felt a little pain because maybe I shouldn't have said what I said because I don't suffer from the disease. But when I came back, I got a hug. Never give up. Never give up and never let these negative feelings and the rough parts that you feel, don't let them bring you down. First of all, they fade, and second of all, you learn how to deal with it. Trust me when I say that you get to learn to enjoy sobriety. At the beginning, it's rough. And at the beginning, there's lots of things that are trying to bring you out. I, I, I often say that the disease sits on your back or your shoulders just waiting for you to make a wrong move and don't give it a chance to do that. Okay, and here's the, another one that I'm going to bring you. And I will bring these things up in the next few things and let, let go of the shit that suffocates your soul. Yes. There's lots of things that make you feel guilty for what you do. There's lots of things that make you sad. Some people have lost children. They've been taken away, and they were given X amount of time to get straight and X amount of time to be in recovery before they can get them back, and they screwed up. They were so close to getting their loved ones back, their children back. And what happened? What happened was they, for whatever reason, they relapsed and they don't know why they relapsed and they cry and they feel so horrible. But don't let that suffocate you. Just keep going back and trying and trying and eventually there's that click. Everybody talks about the click, but eventually it happens. You deserve your sobriety doesn't always come easy and it doesn't always come right away and you've hurt people that is part of the disease that's why I do the podcast to let family members and loved ones know that you don't do this to cause them pain you do this because you can't control what you're doing when you're in active addiction life is like that Life, you know, there's lots of things that you say to a spouse. There's lots of things you say to a loved one that you regret as soon as it comes past your lips. But you can't let that hold you back, and you can't let that condemn how you live, and you can't let that stop you from being you. We are starting to run out of time, so I want to bring up a few things. I'm hoping to get this podcast out before I mess up again because I was born when we used to use two orange cans and a string instead of cell phones. I mess up a lot, and my coach who taught me podcasting probably is on tranquilizers or something just from trying to get me to learn this stuff. I shouldn't say that to you guys out there, but... Uh, I'm a technical adult, I write books, and I want to bring that up in a little bit. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to give you some information. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to put them on the webcast site. There's a place where you can leave questions, and I have an email. 
site. It's called Addiction in the Family. Now what? At gmail.com. Should you be trying to find a good place to go for treatment? A good place to go reach out to is SAMHSA, which is the, uh, the Addiction and Mental Health Services Administration. And their phone number is 1-800-662-4357. You should write that down. It doesn't even have to be for you or yours. It could be for a neighbor or, you know, a neighbor comes over and just vents because venting is a good thing to do. If you keep your pain in, it festers, get it out. If they have, if they're hearing impaired, there's another number, 1-800-487-4889. Or you could text samsha.gov, S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov. There are websites that'll help you find NA meetings and AA meetings. You don't have to go to treatment before you go to these meetings. For family members, there's Naranon, which is a 12-step program that'll help you deal with your pain because family members, it's a family disease. Family members need help too. There's Al-Anon for if somebody that you love, your loved one is suffering from Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, from alcohol addiction, which is a drug. You can go to a, an Al-Anon meeting, and there's Naranon for those who have loved ones that suffer from narcotic addiction. And then there's Alateen, and that's if your loved one has children or if they have family members that are in their teens, this is a program that'll help them deal. And it's set up for people that are young. So again, I want to thank you. And I want to tell you, I said, I promised you I would tell you about my book. Uh, my book, by some pure coincidence, is called Addiction in the Family, Now What?, it's available at Amazon, and uh, it's twenty dollars, and it's really it was really well received by professionals in the field of addiction. It's worth the read. It follows my daughter's addiction problem somewhat, but it also tells you how to deal with it if you're a family member and you can't get to meetings or won't get to meetings. Uh, for whatever reason, be it shame or uh, whatever guilt. On my Facebook page, there's uh, QR signs that'll take you right to where you can get the book and it'll take you right to the website. Again, I want to thank you all for attending and listening and thank you. Bye.